0: Greetings and welcome to the RPG Review Board Podcast. You're listening to episode 17. In this episode, we join two of the judges in chambers. We listen into a conversation in progress in which judges Trey and Nathan talk about their humble RPG beginnings, how they got started, what games they played earlier in their role-playing career, and how they informed their opinions on the hobby. Join us as the board convenes in support of the betterment of tabletop gaming. Come now the honorable representatives of the RPG Review Board.
1: Hey, everybody. This is Nathan Stanley, and I am joined by the Grandmaster of the Gaming Table, Trey Gordon. <laughs> Trey, what are we talking about today?
2: We are taking a walk down memory lane. We're going to reminisce a bit about how each of us got started in the hobby and, you know, talk a little bit about changes over the years. Cha-cha changes Let's not let's
1: not get demonetized for uh, <laughs> for for singing a very copyrighted song. Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> good idea. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, how long have you been playing role playing games?
2: Oh, lordy. Um. Well, I I played my first role playing game, which was Advanced Dungeons and Dragons in 1979, and I was trying to recall i think i said 1980 in one of our previous podcasts and i got to thinking about it and went no that was the year i was in the seventh grade and i asked that year for book money for christmas because i had played dungeons and dragons and i wanted to buy all the books so i had to have played it in 79 or i wouldn't have been in that place at christmas time huh yeah. so
1: yes you have sleuthed your own life To uh, determine when you (laughs) you started playing,
2: I tell you what. When you get to my age, (laughs) sonny.
1: Yes, yes, of course. I am the baby of the table, so I started playing my freshman year of high school, which dates it pretty exactly. It was uh, 1999. I met two of my best friends, and we became you know kind of the three musketeers. And several nights a week, we played Dungeons and Dragons. And oftentimes on the weekends as well. That was back when I could stay up all night and play Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and still be fine the next day, uh, instead of instead of feeling like I've been run over by a steamroller uh, <laughs> right. when, I, when I skip a night. So, yup. So, how old were you? Let's see, freshman year of high school. So, what is that? 14, 15? something like that. Fifteen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. have. I think I'd have actually been. 14 because i was kind of early for indiana so i was the youngest of my class by a ways and at that time i i had to look this up i remember playing both second edition and third edition in high school i was like that can't be right and i was trying to figure this out so i looked it up third edition came out in 2000 so i think what happened is when we started playing we were playing ad and d second edition with all of its faco goodness (laughs) Right. And third came out, and it took us a little bit to acquire the third edition book. But we had a game in progress, so, I don't know, we kind of scabbed on the parts that we liked from third edition, but kept playing second edition. Then eventually we Mm -hmm. switched completely to third edition.
2: Sure. We were really fast and loose with rules when I was that age. You know, we basically, it was almost a homebrew game, what we were playing. I mean, it was was AD&D, no doubt, but... You know, there were a lot of things we didn't use or things that we used either wrong out of ignorance or just decided that we were going to add on. It was, you know, pretty shoot from the hip.
1: Yeah, we were very much the same way. I think it was was kind of one of those like only one of us owns the book. So, you know, they read the book or let's put some big air quotes around that. They read the book kind of flip through it and get the gist of it and then we play right so there wasn't Mm -hmm. nearly as much of a uh sticking to the rules or or even being well i take that back there was plenty of rules lawyering right but it was more like ladies and gentlemen of the jury you said (laughs) that i could do this if this (laughs) therefore uh, logically that would lead to yeah, there was there was right. some of that. I don't uh, way more of that than I do nowadays. It's oh, probably yeah. one of the ways I've changed. But uh, yeah, there was definitely some rules lawyering early on, but it just wasn't good rules lawyering. It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't referred no. to the book <laughs> rules lawyering. No. It was just big big persnickety.
2: So yeah, yeah, definitely trying to get away with something based <laughs> on you know. Yeah, a lot of our playing was was really ad hoc because. You could hide a set of dice. Okay, so when I started playing this game, that was during the moral panic of the oh, yeah. of the early 80s. And yeah. so, you know, back in my East Texas, smallish town, East Texas school, if they saw a Dungeons and Dragons book, they would take it away from you and you wouldn't get it back. Uh-huh. At least that was the threat. If your parents yeah. went down and insisted that they give it back to you, they would, but... It all comes down to whether your parents would do that because a lot of my friends' parents didn't want them playing D&D either. Right. Because it was going to make us all devil worshipers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And,
1: uh... Casting your spells and everything, yeah.
2: Oh, exactly, yeah. Sacrificing those pigs by the light of the moon.
1: <laughs> by the dozens. So many pigs. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. We could have dice as long as we could, you know, kind of roll them surreptitiously. But if we didn't have dice, then we would just pick a random number by opening a textbook. And Uh looking at the page number, you know, and and trying to make something out of that. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of our stuff was done without the benefit of a rule book, even if we had been inclined to fully read it, which of course we weren't. I mean, have you read the AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide? Have Uh, you read that? I don't think I actually have. I tell you what, I have a lot of nostalgia for that book and the way it's written. Uh-huh. But that's not because it's good. <laughs> the writing is really he, he Gygax loves him some long periodic sentences. Uh-huh. <laughs> lots of passive voice going on in there. It's it's, <laughs> it's pretty Fair, rough well, stuff. The, uh,
1: the literary nerd is coming out there.
2: Oh sorry. Sorry. <laughs> well and I, I will sometimes just sit down and read it because it makes me happy. You know? Sure, but yeah. yeah, it's 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 a cool book, but it's not something that, you know, a 7th grader is going to sit down and carefully digest cover to cover. I am no exception. But so I didn't start out with those books though, because before I got those, I went and bought the box set, the basic D&D box set, mm-hmm. you know, with the dragon on the front of it. Yeah. And
1: yeah, the famous box set. Yeah.
2: Yes. We didn't really read that carefully either. I was I was taught to play this game by some friends of mine, and they taught me AD&D. And then when I carried on playing with, you know, these other people that I would either teach how to play or who already knew how to play when I started playing with them, we had the basic rule book, but we were basically playing AD&D because that's what we'd been taught. So that was part of the whole weirdness about Ad hoc, this, that, and the other. Yeah. Because we weren't going to sit down and read the basic rules cover to cover. Well, yeah. And when we had consulted them and they didn't agree with what we remembered, you know, like for instance, we had like Halfling Thieves, for instance. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not in the basic book. Your halfling is a halfling, right? Uh Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, yeah. I really appreciate how, you know, we started playing 20. Twenty years apart, yeah, twenty years apart, and yet both mm. of us have the same feeling that we learned by word of mouth. <laughs> yeah, like 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 D and D was passed on via some sort of oral tradition from someone right. who had the the source, the the handbook, <laughs> right. and then it and then it just you know cascades to all their friends.
2: I, I would like to imagine mark and doug sitting around a campfire <laughs> with me, you know we're <laughs> <laughs> yeah smearing then... the ink of the Flare's handbook on our sweaty arms and but...
1: then you roll a charisma save yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly
1: yeah that's that's interesting
2: i it'd be cool if mark and doug were listening to this hey mark and doug this is true mark and doug how's it
1: going never met you but yeah but yeah you seem cool <laughs> Thanks for teaching, my friend, D&D. Yeah, so, I don't know, what, what else did you play after that, you know? Uh, was D&D kind of, like, your your main thing for a long time? Or did you kind of, like, move around to different games and such?
2: We were all over the place. Well, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but we did play a lot of games. Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of games out there we didn't play, obviously. But D&D was kind of like... The great thing about D&D was it was a language everybody spoke, mm-hmm. you know? So when you're together with a bunch of people... And you wanna play a game, D and D's what you're gonna play, right? Because everyone knows how. But we tried Boot Hill, mm-hmm. we played Metamorphosis Alpha. We played Gamma World, which grew out of Metamorphosis sure, Alpha. Yeah. I think I've mentioned before that we kind of missed the point of Gamma World. Did I did I tell you that? It rings a bell, but uh yeah. hit me we, with we, it again. We didn't we didn't realize it was supposed to be silly.
1: Oh, yeah. So you're just you're just lock, stock and barrel, huh?
2: (laughs) Yeah. The hoops and the hoppers and all these little creatures were for real. And yeah, we we were we were we were committed to this. It was as though we were playing D&D, but it wasn't. It was this. And looking back at it now, I think, how could we have missed this? You know, there, there are mutations you can get where you have stink glands. <laughs> uh, now, was the the strange
1: moral Panic that surrounded Dungeons & Dragons, did that permeate into other games? Or was that just like Dungeons & Dragons because it had devils in it?
2: It depended on your parents and how inclined they were to dig into this, right? Mm-hmm. Into what you were doing. Like, if if I if I were to go in, go to, go in over to a friend's house and my mom had asked me what we were going to do, I I might say, you know, we're just going to play a game. And she would look at me with that B.E.I. Uh-huh. Yeah. stare and go, yeah. what game? If I said Gamma World, she would go, well, all right, we'll have a good time. And off I would go, right? My parents were strange, though. They were they, they ran hot and cold on the moral Panic. Sometimes they were really concerned, and sometimes they were less so. Sure. You know, sometimes they didn't seem to mind much it depended a lot on i guess i don't know what news programs they'd seen recently sure yeah now so okay i'm kind of curious the the moral panic was long since over by the time you started playing yeah did you feel any need to keep this on the down low not in the same sort of way
1: right it wasn't like no one can know i'm playing Dungeons and dragons because they're gonna Mm -hmm. think i'm you know sacrificing goats on a stone altar in the woods Um, Right, (laughs) But instead, it was more like that's the thing the nerds do. And you are more likely just to get beat up for playing Dungeons and Dragons, though. I feel like I should also temper that with uh, my school wasn't too bad when it came to bullying nerds. For for whatever reason, I did happen to escape most of that. So it wasn't so bad. But yeah, it was we still didn't really advertise it, but we didn't hide it either, if that makes sense. Um, We didn't really have the time or inclination to play at school. We always played at home at one of our houses. But, yeah, it was just us, and we just kind of kept it amongst ourselves for the most part. Sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we would definitely have been picked on, you know, if some of the less nerdy classmates had realized what we were doing. Mm -hmm. But we were keeping it on the down low because of our parents and because of the teachers. At that point, if you were over the age of, like, 11, and you were interested in fantasy at all... That Mm -hmm. wasn't all right. You know, that was just sort of this general kind of, you know, the society in general had this feeling that, you know, "Eh, you should be over that. You know, if if your age is in the double digits, then you're probably, you know, if you're reading J.R.R. Tolkien, then there's probably something wrong with you.
1: Yeah, fantasies for kids and that sort of thing. Yeah, Yeah.
2: exactly. And I get the impression, I mean, so my daughter's generation of kids, that's Mm -hmm. not the case at all. Yeah. The kids of her age and or, and younger that I know, if they're into Tolkien, they're into Tolkien, and they don't care who knows it. Sure, yeah. How about you? Fantasy in general, was it still stigmatized?
1: Not nearly as much. You know, I think for the most part, you know, we were kind of turning the corner. I mean, when did the Lord of the Rings movies come out? I mean, we weren't too far away from that happening. So, yeah,
2: I don't know. It was around the it was around 7980, I think.
1: The Fellowship of the Ring came out in 2001 according to the Google. So, you know, that's square in the middle of me being in Oh, high I'm school. sorry.
2: You right. know, I was thinking about Bakshi. Yeah, you were. I know you were.
1: <laughs> yeah, so so that was right square in the middle of me being in high school and I think Okay. I think those movies more than maybe anything really kind of jettisoned you know. Yeah. Obviously oh, Tolkien but fantasy in general into the into the mainstream into the cultural zeitgeist. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I didn't really have to contend with a whole lot of that. And then also around the same time, you know, we had Star Wars coming back with Phantom Menace. Um, and mm-hmm. I was a big Star Wars geek. So, yep. so, you know, it was a it was a good time to be a nerd. I got to see the the corner get turned and kind of the the upswing in in nerd culture popularity.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and it really was. It was it was a big upswing. I, I was working at a major multinational aerospace corporation based in Seattle, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I had this carpool that I that I that I rode with this friend of mine from work every yeah. day. As the Lord of the Rings movies were getting closer and closer, and I was getting sucked deeper and deeper into all of the all of the various internet stuff around the build up to these movies, and I talked about it more and more. She listened to the whole thing with great patience and seeming interest, but. Later, after the movies came out, or after the Fellowship came out, and I went to see it, you know, I got in the car the next morning foaming at the mouth, right? I was Uh so excited because it was good. It was as good as I'd wanted it to be. And it was, you know, not as bad as I was afraid it was going to be. There was all this excitement. And I said, you know, you've got to go see this. And she says, I don't watch three-hour movies with elves in them. Sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What a letdown.
2: I know just deflated you like
1: a punctured basketball
2: oh it was bad well anyway she goes and sees this thing after it's been out for a while she Mm -hmm. was with some friends of hers and I didn't know she was going to do it but I got in the car one day and she's like I've got a bone to pick with you like what (laughs) she said why didn't you tell me that movie was that good (laughs) like I've talked about nothing else for a year (laughs) Like that was awesome feel like you would have
1: picked up on some context clues
2: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right. But I think I, I think most of society was kind of that way, at least in the states. Yeah. You know, even people who hadn't had time for that before suddenly it was it was okay.
1: Yeah, there was kind of a kind of a, a cultural wake up call, right? That uh, mm-hmm. there was all of this untapped potential out
2: there, or it had been tapped, but so badly, <laughs> right? So yeah, and maybe not so very badly. Maybe
1: not done with any real
2: justice. No, I mean, probably Willow was the (laughs) the best thing we had at that point. (laughs) Oh, oh no. Yeah, (laughs) it's not saying a lot. That's Val Kilmer in a cage. That's what that is.
1: Yeah, so I played AD&D 2nd edition and 3rd edition in high school. I also, shortly after high school, like, we're still maybe like mid-2000s, picked up some World of Darkness, played Mm. Mage the Awakening and Vampire the Masquerade. That was yeah. kind of my my second system. I think was uh, was World of Darkness.
2: I've played Vampire the Masquerade exactly once, mm-hmm. not because I didn't enjoy it, but because it was a one off and that was all I got. Yeah. But I seem to remember that before World of Darkness was World of Darkness, and this is like I say, I'm I'm, I'm asking you for information because I don't really know. There was a game before called Jihad and it was about vampires. Are they related? Yes, they are. Okay. They are
1: related. I don't know the exact relationship, but I'm pretty sure that the pretty sure the vampire the masquerade card game was called Jihad. Oh, okay. Which I assume means that there is a connection there adam's probably just internally screaming while listening to this episode to edit it because (laughs) he plays he knows the answer and enjoys it so yeah sorry adam but if uh, it makes
2: you too crazy buddy you can cut this bit out
0: yeah there you go hey adam here i couldn't help myself jihad was designed by richard garfield the creator of magic the gathering it was released in 1994 but in 1995 it was renamed to vampire the eternal struggle but that ended production in 2010 In 2018, a fan-run organization called Black Chantry picked up development and production. It's set in the world of darkness. It uses vampires and settings from the Vampire the Masquerade series of fiction and role-playing books. It's really great. You should check it out. Now, back to the show.
2: Well, it was one of those games that I always kind of heard about in in the periphery of my sort of awareness. Like Empire of the Pedal Throne. That's the thing that I wanted to play a lot, and I never did. Mm -hmm. I never even saw a copy of it, but I would see it advertised in Dragon Magazine and that kind of thing. There were lots of games like that that I felt, oh, that would be cool to play. Never did.
1: So like I said, I played D&D through high school and such. I don't know that my eyes were ever really opened to the wider world of RPGs until really I got out of high school and maybe started spending some of my own money on stuff Mm. and then, you know, kind of saw some of the other some of the other things that are available uh even then it stayed largely you know contained to just the things that you know my friends were already into so i have a friend who was really into world of darkness that's how i got into that um, i had a mm-hmm. friend that was really into Battletech. so i got into that the tabletop game but also mech warrior the Battletech role-playing game
2: yeah uh, we played, I played that or twice
1: which was pretty fun it's the I don't know why I remember this, but I just remember that my character piloted an FLC-8R Falconer. And I can say that off the top of my head, and I don't know why that, of all things, is what I remember, but there you go. (laughs) And I guess um, about that same time, because, again, I was already a Star Wars geek and I was spending my own money, I picked up the uh, Wizards of the Coast D20 Star Wars role-playing game and played some of that, too, which I really liked. It was fun. It wasn't really until the 2010s, I guess, that I kind of joined my my current like board game group that we Mm -hmm. occasionally dabble into RPGs and um, really got into, you know, just, you know, crazy out there systems and uh, and new games and that sort of thing. Well, so
2: when I was younger, we played lots of new games, you know, Gangbusters and Chill and Call of Cthulhu and all this stuff. But we always came back to d d All mm-hmm. those other things were, you know, we'd play a couple of nights, for instance, of of Call of Cthulhu. Then we'd go back to d You know, we might return to those characters later, but more likely we'd make up new characters the next time we played that game. But d d we had long-running, years-going characters. Was it the same way for you, or did you oh, yeah. s- switch Absolutely. games? We
1: played, I mean, my very first game, game of dungeons and dragons was a campaign that ran all through high school and part of the way out of it um it was four plus years of of playing this one campaign D has a very special place in my heart for that reason and yeah it is definitely the game that we keep coming back to the characters from that game when i when i dm a uh a D&D game now the characters from that game oftentimes make appearances as non-player characters in yeah. current games, just because I don't know. It's just my homage to my, the origins of my my gaming experience. So,
2: yeah, yeah, that's cool.
1: Yeah, it definitely is kind of the. I don't know if I would say we kept going back to it. I think when we wrapped up that game, we tried to start up a new campaign, but starting it up on the heels of such like an adventure epic adventure it kind of felt a little flat so we kind of shelved it okay. and then moved on to other things that group of us we haven't really gone back to Dungeons and Dragons we moved on to some other things but uh, I personally keep going back to Dungeons and Dragons with different groups and one of my favorite things yeah. to do is to teach people how to play I, I really like bringing new people into the game and into the hobby in general yeah yeah which you know is how the hobby thrives so
2: it is yeah that's that's excellent. I used to do that all the time bring bring people in it's been it's been a while mm-hmm. um, I've gotten older and my life has taken some turns and i <laughs> <laughs> yeah <it's> a little a <laughs>
1: little long in the tooth there Trey
2: <laughs> yeah I know uh
1: just kind of thinking out loud here what do you think we kind of talked about how uh, quote unquote nerd culture has kind of been on the rise over the last few years you know mm-hmm. what kind of what kind of effect do you think? you know that you've seen that's has that had on gaming um in what ways is right. the the gaming industry or maybe just like people playing games in general has that changed since there are half a dozen blockbuster comic
2: book movies a year right yeah that's a good question
1: yeah and i gave you no time to prepare either <laughs>
2: <laughs> well and you, you could say i've had 54 years to prepare but
1: all right i'll say I that i
2: think that I, I think that an interesting part of that question for me is that at my age, and maybe it's not just my age, I know a lot of people my age who aren't like this, so I shouldn't say that. That's 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 vapid. But where I am right now, I'm not as plugged into pop culture as I was. Mm-hmm. So it's not easy for me to say how, say the fact that, you know, yeah, there are they're, they're, they're more Marvel movies than I can count now. Yeah. Uh, and they're blockbusters almost every time. How has that affected gaming? I'm not sure. I, I do know that when I was teaching in front of a classroom, I could talk about role-playing games with my class. Sure, yeah. You know, and there would be people in there who would be right on that conversation. Mm-hmm. And that would never have happened. That would never, ever have happened when I was in junior high, high school. Never, even as an undergraduate, that would never have happened. Yeah. Never. Yeah.
1: I think personally I the thing that I find most interesting about it is I think it's had a really like invigorating effect on the industry as a whole you know mm-hmm. if you if you just like if you just go to Kickstarter right now and look mm-hmm. at how many role playing games there are being funded on Kickstarter it's mm-hmm. it's absolutely insane the fact that people tend to be a, a lot more open to you know, kind of entering these fantasy worlds, I think it's only been a good thing for us, right? More and more people joining the hobby has got to be a good thing, I think.
2: Well, you've reminded me, you know, I, I, I think I mentioned that I, I used to do editing for 12 to Midnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi, guys, 12 to Midnight, great stuff. When I was doing that, we were going to conventions, I and the other 12 to Midnight guys, and we were, we were all guys at the time. They're not anymore. But there was this sense among us that the hobby was on its way out. Yeah. We'd go to cons and everyone there, most not everyone, but the vast majority of people there were our age. Yeah. And older. Yeah. And that was when I first started with them. Now when I go to Gen Con, that's not the case anymore. And yeah. And I don't know that that's directly because of the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies, but I would be interested to see a timeline of that. In my mind, it seems like they were kind of at the same time, that after Fellowship of the Ring, the, the floodgates opened with younger people playing. Um, but I, I don't know that for sure. It's just a feeling.
1: Yeah, you, you got to wonder the effect that it's had on. I mean, the, the super obvious one is look at the effect it's had on the San Diego Comic-Con. That thing oh. is... Just bonkers every year. Um, <laughs> I've never been. And, and then, uh, you know, Gen Con here in our backyard in Indianapolis, I mean, pre-co- mm-hmm. pre-COVID anyway, it was posting attendance records every year. Oh, and yeah. 2019, it was up to 70,000 attendees, which is mm-hmm. an insane number of people going to a convention that focuses almost entirely on tabletop board games and role-playing games. So yeah. yeah, that is interesting. I it would be interesting to to put that up as a metric just to see demarcate the the pre Lord of the Rings trilogy time and the post Lord of the Rings trilogy time and just see what happened.
2: Oh yeah. There are yeah. probably piles and piles of white papers at Hasbro talking about how <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yep, there's people again screaming at us right now like I've already written a paper about this.
2: Exactly. <laughs> Do your reading.
1: <laughs> yeah. Prepare for a podcast, you idiots.
2: That's right. Why would we do something like that? That'd be interesting to see. So,
1: well, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you tonight. Okay? <laughs> Listen, how do you, how do you sign off of a podcast?
2: I don't know. Bye, I don't know. everybody? I, <laughs> yeah. I think you just let Adam do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Maybe maybe he'll just take this long outro and just like fade it out real slowly. <laughs>
2: We'll just keep the just, patter up for a and while and like, we'll just
1: let it... I like. may just make it seem like we just talk for a uh... Uh, by the way, Adam, because I know you'll be listening to this. How you doing, buddy? He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. <laughs> he's fine. I'm sure he's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's <laughs> fine. Uh, just more stuff for him to listen to and edit. Give him something to do. He's bored. Should I do an intro? Do we do intros
2: for this? I don't know. I, I, I was just trying to think about that. Maybe this would have been a thing to think about before we started recording. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe.